Hey, it's Amber. This week's episode, as well as last week's, will be a little different than our normal time together. During the month of May, we at Time of Grace are talking about a topic few in the church do, abuse. Abuse is something that happens more than we think, and that's why we need to talk about it with the guidance of God's Word. This is part two of my interview with Michelle Markgraf, the Director of Family Support Services for Kingdom Workers, a ministry you might know for their global mission work. But they do so much more. If you missed part one of my interview with Michelle, be sure to check it out. And if you're looking for resources, I will point you in the right direction at the end of this episode. And don't discount someone's story just because they're not acting the way you would act or the way that you think they should act. Anything that happens, any way that they're reacting is normal. That is so good to know. Which brings us to, um, you were very kind to admit in um, one of your talks that you didn't handle it perfectly when a friend of yours was in an abusive situation. And I found great comfort in that Mm -hmm. because um, it's a learning process for a lot of us. And and you have said multiple times, you know, you might not get it right the first time and you go back and say, hey, I didn't respond as Mm -hmm. I should. Can you just give us some tips? So if someone comes to us and they trust us, which First, you have to establish that trust. Very mm-hmm. few people are going to just sit down and start talking to you about an abusive situation. Right. But once they trust us with what's going on, how how should we respond? And can you just give us some tips that will help us to not get this wrong? <laughs> right. And I'm going to say don't be afraid to get it wrong because even now, you know, I've worked with so many people and there's still times where I go, man. I totally blew it, and and I have to go apologize. And so that that's normal. Give yourself grace. It is really difficult space to work in. Everybody's story is different. When somebody is coming and telling you about the abuse, it is a really heavy burden to bear, and it's going to feel heavy, and you're going to feel like you don't know what to do, and that is completely normal. And if you ever do feel like you know what you're going to do, then I'd be con- I'd be concerned. <laughs> so understanding that you're going to feel helpless, that's okay. And that that's a good thing. And I tell people, think of them giving you this story of what's happening in their life as a gift. And it might not feel like a gift. It, it might feel burdensome, but it is an amazing, incredible gift that they trust you so much that they are telling you this very intimate thing that has happened to them. And if you think of nothing else, if you remember nothing else, just say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. And that conveys to them that you are with them, that you're believing, that you're understanding. And that might be the only thing you say, and great that you're just showing them that you're with them, and that's really what they need. Because unfortunately, our, we, we mean well and we want to help and we see the perfect way for, for them to react to the situation, which oftentimes, especially in severe abuse, is you need to leave. And we need to really hold ourselves back and remind ourselves we can't fix this. This is a relationship 
issue, we're not part of that relationship, our job is to support. And oftentimes it's going to be, thank you, you know, reacting with empathy, how can I help you? And then most likely that person's going to say, well, I want to get back together with this person that's abusing me. I, I want to make it right because I know they didn't mean to do it and it's going to be better and I'll, I'll do this and that and things will get better. And I, I'm going to encourage everyone, it's going to go against what you feel you should do, but what you really need to do is say, okay, what can I do to help you? How can I help you achieve what you want to achieve? But let's make sure you do this safely because safety is, is what we're most concerned about in this situation. We know the reality is the average is seven times for a person to leave an abusive relationship and return. So even if we get into our fix-it mode and we pull them out and we make them go stay with us or go to a shelter, that's not going to last. And they're going to return to that person because that's what they want. And all of a sudden now we've made ourselves as a not safe person because we're now a person that's trying to control them and make them do what we want. So really just be there with them, help them strategize, how do I do this safely? And be there for the next time when they say, I'm leaving and returning, and it's going to be tough. And by time number three, I've heard this so many times, we're going to say, oh, I have done this three times and I've been through the drama and I can't do this anymore. I'm going to really encourage you, pray, be in the word, help yourself say you, you need to be safe and healthy, but be there for that person for the fifth and the sixth, you know, be there with them until they are truly ready to leave. Because without a support system in place, it's going to be that much more difficult for them to leave that abusive behavior. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I was really astounded. Um, all of us, a lot of us, our first reaction is get mm -hmm. out. You just need to leave. You mm -hmm. just need to get out. But that is so much easier said than done. We've already talked about the financial aspect of it. Many of people who are abused don't have any financial resources. Correct. But there are other things that hold them back too. What are some of the other things? A huge one is actually safety, where it's actually safe, safer for a person to be in that relationship than to leave it. And statistics show that more murders happen after a relationship has been ended than during the relationship. I believe it's like 70% of domestic abuse murders happen after the relationship is over. Because at that point, the person who's the abuser realizes they have lost everything. They don't have that relationship anymore. And so murder for them is an easy next step. So definitely people will stay in a relationship because they know they can keep themselves safer than if they are out of that relationship. That's a huge thing that that keeps people there. It could be children. If there are children involved, the abuser, again, we had talked about gaslighting. Other people might think that the person who's being gaslit is crazy as well, just because of they're not trusting their own thoughts. And so the abuser might say, well, if you leave, you know, everybody knows you're crazy, so I'm going to get the kids. And that person doesn't want to leave their kids alone with an abuser. And so there are so many ways. I mean, this is all of abuse is about control. There are so many ways that abuser has put things in place to make it really difficult for that person to leave. Even a pet. 
mm-hmm. that you love oh, so much and the abuser has, you know, threatened to do something to the pet or sometimes you can't take the pet to the shelter. Right. So that in and of itself, if you have a dog that you love and that's mm-hmm. your comfort during this, but the shelter won't take dogs and you know that you have to leave that, that's leaving the one comfortable thing in your life. Mm-hmm. And where the abuser could very well hurt or kill that pet as well because they know that you love it. When when we're working with folks who we think they should leave, but they say we've got to return, a good thing to do is do a pros and cons with them. And because remember, they're not thinking with the rational part of their brain because when they think about their abuse, they go back into trauma mode. But help them say, well, what are the pros of returning to this relationship and what are the cons? And by doing that, that will help you uncover some of the things that make them go back. Maybe one of the pros is I won't get killed. And so that helps you to see what's actually going on that's keeping that person wanting to go back into that relationship. So that it gives you something where you feel like you're doing something. And really, just by being with that person and walking with them and believing, you are doing so much. It doesn't feel like a bunch, but to that person, you are an incredible resource to them. Yeah, you're showing that they're valued mm-hmm. and that they're loved and that you believe them mm-hmm. when they have maybe been told over and over and over, you know, you're not worth anything and nobody's going to believe you. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's awesome. Yeah, and then too, telling them, reminding them God loves you. You know, being that person in their life who understands what their abuser is saying and then reminding them, you know, God does love you. You are his child and he wants you in heaven with him. And just reminding them over and over and over. It's not something you can say 10 times and go, oh, I've, I've done this enough. It's definitely something that a person being abused needs to hear every time, as well as being, as well as hearing that it's not their fault. Because of course the abuser, it's never their fault. It's always, well, if you hadn't burned supper or if you'd only you know kept the kids clean or it's always the other person's fault in the abuser's eyes, but it's not. Sin belongs on the abuser. So you mentioned that men are abused as frequently as women. And that we don't often talk about that. So it's common. How common? And why don't men report it as often? So that Centers for Disease Control that we talked about where one out of three women and one out of three men report the abuse, they had a follow-up question. And the follow-up question was, are these things happening and does it negatively impact your life? Are you being injured? Do you fear for your safety kind of things? And there it's one out of four women say it's happening and it's negatively impacting me. And one out of nine men say, yes, it's happening and it's negatively impacting me. And some of that might have to do, especially with the injury factor where women may not give as much serious injury as men. But The thing that I think really keeps us from thinking about this happening to men is nobody likes to talk about this, but men especially, I think, have difficulty coming forward and saying, I'm being abused by a woman. It's just not part of our culture to admit that. And I I believe it's really, really tough for men to come forward. And that just makes it all the more important for us to be talking about how frequently it happens to men as well as women, and to encourage them to talk about what's happening. So it seems that there would be 
um, a very small group of individuals who would actually be qualified to start a support group at church. But you actually do go and help churches train to become supportive and to have support groups. So what qualifications do we need if we want to do something like this? Yeah, it, it feels overwhelming. <laughs> and and I totally understand it feeling overwhelming. What we have done at Kingdom Workers is we've done the support groups and we actually started a second program, which is an advocate, which might be a little bit less intimidating to some people where you get trained and then you just work one-on-one with a person and, and help a person through um, emotional support, spiritual support, help that person. But everything that we do, we provide a lot of training for folks. When someone wants to be either an advocate or a facilitator, we do a seven-hour training, first of all, just about abuse, about what is abuse, what is trauma, how does trauma affect people, why do folks stay in a relationship, and then you know, how do we effectively work with somebody and help somebody who's being abused. And for facilitators, so that's enough for the advocates just to have that training and they're equipped to be able to help somebody one-on-one. And for facilitators, there's an additional five hours of training that we do. And I do that in person and we just go through groups and how do you start a group and how do you facilitate a group and what do you do with a person that's always talking or the person that never talks? How do you manage group members and keep everybody on track? And we do a lot of role playing throughout and just help people feel equipped by the end of that time to be able to run a support group. Are you going to feel like you're a pro? No, (laughs) but you will feel equipped and ready to run a group. And all support groups, I really encourage two facilitators, which helps as well. You don't feel like you're all alone in doing it. And it's it's really helpful to have a buddy in the room to be able to both do that facilitating. How do we work with our community? Because there's this distrust. Um, the church distrust does not trust the community um, because they think that they're going to lead them down a path that's not spiritually accurate mm-hmm. and vice versa. The community doesn't, so the women's shelter and, and the police don't always trust the faith community because sometimes we've given bad advice to people in abusive situations. How do we start working to mend the community church relationship? That is a super good question, and it's part of what I do as when I come and I work with a church, but any church can do this. And the simple answer is start building a relationship. When I was, I was four and a half years at the Compass Center as executive director, I recall only one church actually coming to see our services and see what we did. And there are a lot of churches in Sioux Falls, but I only had one that actually came and, and toured. And what I have found with working with churches, when I do that seven-hour training, I invite the community resource to come in and talk about what they do. And I found two things that happen with that. The first is I find churches that had absolutely no idea of what was available in the community, that it was they do more than shelter work. They can help with protection orders or um, orders of protection, whatever the state has. They can help with working with law enforcement. You know, they can help find an attorney if an attorney is needed. You know, they just didn't realize the wealth of what the community offers, which means then they can't refer folks that they know if they don't know. 
And the other thing that I found was when when I invite that community resource to come in and talk with the church, they are so excited to work with the church that a church is actually asking them to come in. And they, I've worked especially with two in Wisconsin, two community resources who have connected with the church. And then just watching them talk with the pastor has been really cool. I also did that with the community resource in New Ulm, Minnesota. And we actually got together all the pastors and the advocates from the community resource. And kind of the synergy that happens is, synergy is a buzzword, but is is so cool because the pastor said, well, what if we have somebody and they don't want to go to your place, which is in downtown New Ulm, will you come here and work with the person? And they're like, yeah, we'd be happy to just call us and you know we'll come to church and work with that person. And so the incredible you know, resources available to somebody when the faith community and the um, community community is working together to help a survivor. And being able to start sharing, you know, concerns that they have. I think the faith community a lot of times thinks, well, they're going to tell the person to get divorced or, you know, they're going to tell the person things that aren't scriptural. And the reality is that's not the role of the advocate in the community, their role is to listen to what that person wants and then do what they want. So if that person wants a divorce, then the advocate is going to work to help them achieve their goal. If that person wants to stay in the relationship, that advocate is going to work to help them stay in the relationship and stay safe. So they're not telling them what to do, or they shouldn't be. That's that's not their role. Their role is just to listen to what they want and then to help that happen. So it sounds like communication is where it starts mm-hmm. between the community and the services offered in the community and the church. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a matter of having this open communication and coming alongside each other and mm-hmm. saying, how can I help you? Right. And how can I help you? Because we we all have the same goal in mind. We want to help somebody who is in a situation where they are being harmed. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's just really important for us to understand that we... The church can go outside of the church mm-hmm. and get our hands dirty a little bit and help our community out. And, and that's what Jesus did an awful lot in right. his ministry. So if we know right now someone's listening and they say, Amber, I know that I'm not going to run a support group. I know that I'm not cut out to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. What can all of us do to help people who are being abused in our communities and in our churches and in our families and in our neighborhoods? One of the first things is just be aware that it's happening and be that person who's safe to talk to. And what that means is really listen when people are talking to you. When someone's in an abusive relationship, they're not going to just most often spew out everything that's happening. The first step might be something that sounds like, yeah, things are a little rough right now in our marriage which doesn't sound like abuse at all. But that means that as a person who understands that this could be happening, I just say, oh, can you tell me more about that? And in that way, I'm just showing I'm listening. I'm not trying to fix it. You know, I'm just caring and I want to know more. And understanding that, that people are just going to drop like subtle, subtle hints and just asking, tell me more is really the first step. And then remembering if they do tell more, that our role is to be a support and to walk by their side 
and not take on that for ourselves and try and fix it, that we're there just to support their decisions. And oftentimes I tell folks, you know, going to pastor might be really scary to talk about this abuse, especially if I'm a woman, I'm being abused by a man. Do I want to go to another man and talk about it? But maybe I'll go if my friend goes with me. So be that person that says, you know, we we love you and want to help you. Can I go with you to pastor? Because I do want you to get that spiritual counseling from someone. And, you know, pastor is a great resource. Let's let's use him. Definitely always, I, I, I just can't say it enough, you know, the spiritual side is the most important side. The spiritual abuse that's happening, you know, being told how worthless they are, that um, nobody cares about them, that they feel utterly worthless, is reminding them that their abuser doesn't get to pick their worth. They're a child of God, and that's their basis of worth, not what their abuser tells them. And again, it's not something you can say one and done. It's something a person needs to hear as often as they hear from their abuser how awful they are. So what I'm hearing is we can all be a good friend. Mm -hmm. We can all be a good listener. Um, We don't have to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we shouldn't because that's just also controlling a situation for somebody who's been under someone else's control the whole time. So that takes a whole lot of stress off of me to know that I don't have to fix the situation. I can start being a good friend, a good listener, and, and offering to go along when they're ready to take the next step, whichever, whatever that next step is. Right. To go to a crisis center, to go to your pastor, to go wherever. Mm-hmm. This has been so important and, and there's such a lot of good information here. And I just want to thank you for giving your time today and letting the Time of Grace listeners know that there are resources available. Um, so if, if we want to know more, how do we get in contact with you? Um, two ways. You can go to the Kingdom Workers website if you think of nothing, if you don't remember anything else, but go to Kingdom Workers and there's information there about this. Otherwise, my email is mmarkgraff at kingdomworkers.com. And I'm happy to talk with anybody, whether or not you want to start a support group, but if you want to just help someone or have questions about something that's happening, I'm, I'm here to listen. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I will listen and and see what you need. Excellent. Thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for listening and a very special thank you to Michelle for her insight and wisdom. If you or someone you know is suffering from abuse, reach out to us at Time of Grace for resources and help on this difficult subject. You can find us at timeofgrace.org slash abuse. And again, thank you for your prayers, as always, as we reach the world with hope in Jesus.